You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. What's the biggest source of antioxidants in the Western diets? Mr. Health Man. Ooh. In the Western diet. It's a trick question. It sounds very much like a trick question. (laughs) I know like berries, pomegranates, blueberries, you know, that kind of stuff is really high in antioxidants. So I'm going to put my guess in for berries. No, wrong. Oh, man. Coffee. Coffee. Yeah. Ah. Coffee is a rich and powerful antioxidant. In a way, it's kind of sad. That's why I said the Western diet, because the Western diet don't include a lot of berries. (laughs) Real food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So unfortunately, in the Western diet, coffee is the main source of antioxidants for people. So there's not a lot of antioxidants in McDonald's. No, no. Or Carl's Jr. or anything. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, coffee itself has so many different health benefits, right? It can improve your energy level, as we all know. It can help you burn fat. It actually puts your metabolism into a higher state, just your resting pulse, and you'll actually burn more fat when you've got caffeine pumping through your brains. It can drastically improve your physical performance. We know this well. I've seen you many times with your pre-workout shaking a hand and five minutes later, you're like a freaking energizer bunny running around. (laughs) It's scary. (laughs) It is scary. It is very scary. It has tons of essential nutrients. There's studies that shows that it can lower your risk of type two diabetes. It may protect you from Alzheimer's. The list just goes on. It protects your liver. It fights depression. It can make you happier. It can put you at lower risk for certain types of cancer. I mean, coffee is just such a versatile drink. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about coffee today. Well, you don't have to sell me because it's already (laughs) one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. (laughs) So let's dive in. In a single year, here's some more data for you. Americans collectively drink 400 million cups of coffee. And the average person in the U.S. spends $21.32 on coffee each week. And this averages includes non-coffee drinkers. In 2014 alone, the US imported a total of 27.5 million bags of coffee, accounting for almost 25% of all unroasted coffee imports in the world. This made the US the largest coffee buyer in the world with no contest. And if you're one of those million Americans contributing to the national coffee consumption count, where do you get your coffee from? Do you get it from Dunkin' Donuts? Do you get it from McDonald's? Or do you get it from a place with a white mermaid inside of a green circle? Well, I usually get it from my Nespresso. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. I have bought you hundreds and thousands of (laughs) Starbucks coffee in my life. Yeah, well, and mostly it's like my wife just brings it to me because, of course, she loves it too. And it's convenience. Oh, yeah. That's one of our favorite things to enjoy together. Yeah. And this isn't a story about one of the worst becoming the best. And it isn't a story about one of the best became the worst. It's a story about a mediocre product turned a brand into an $80 billion business. 
And this episode is going to be about Starbucks. So that's really interesting because we very often talk about how critical it is to have a good product. Right. Right? Like that the basis is a good product and it's very difficult to mask that or overcome that with marketing, branding, advertising, that kind of thing. So this is a very interesting episode for us to unpack because to your point, it's not a massive rescue. It's not a massive fail. It's more about a brand that needed to find itself and grow up. That's the way that I think about it. We can call it a comeback because it is like textbook comeback. But to your point, they started with a massive, critical, strong product and then had to start to find themselves along the way to become who they are today. And it's a really, really cool journey. It's a really nice story. And to that point, there's a lot of differing opinions about Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Some people think it just is the most amazing, tastes the best, and other people will just absolutely laugh you out of existence if you <laughs> say that Starbucks is really good coffee. It's so funny. I have a big espresso manual bar pressure espresso machine at home. Yeah. And I love Starbucks. I go to Starbucks and I buy the beans or I buy the coffee and it's definitely my go-to when I'm out and about. But whenever I buy the beans and I bring it home, I don't like the coffee. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. I've never been able to make a good cup of coffee with a Starbucks bean. I usually use Lavazza, which is a Italian bean. So I always thought it was really interesting. Yeah. It is amazing how personal your preferences can be. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. We all know there's a million different types of coffee. Like when I first started drinking coffee, it was like learning another language because there's so <laughs> many different orders, right? Like there's a million different permutations for how you can get it. Yep. But Starbucks... In blind taste tests, it came in last after brands like Dunkin' Donuts and Folgers. And their coffee is finished middle of the pack in other blind taste tests. But mm. very rarely does it finish towards the top of the pack in blind tests. So Starbucks has been around a long time before it started to really show up in these blind taste tests and really kind of solidified its status as one of the most beloved brands of coffee in the early 2000s. In fact, in 1971, Jerry Baldwin, Zev Siegel, and Gordon Bowker founded Starbucks at Seattle's Pike Place Market. And it wasn't a coffee shop. It was just a store that sold coffee beans. Hmm. Yeah, they sold the company to Howard Schultz in the early 1980s. And it wasn't until after a business trip to Milan, Italy, that Schultz decided to turn the bean store into a coffee shop. Under Schultz's tenure as chief executive, which lasted from 86 to 2000, the franchise underwent aggressive expansion and experienced tremendous success in growing its brand throughout the 80s and 90s. Feeling good about where they were as a company, Starbucks started looking for new opportunities to grow beyond coffee, which is what a lot of companies do when they see success. So they started to define their brand as an escape, quote unquote. Well... For many of their consumers, Starbucks does offer moments of escape between home and work. And as a part of the escape, Starbucks strives to create warm atmospheres and all around a really great experience in all of their stores. And some even believe that the experience the brand creates makes the coffee taste even better. Yeah, I think that's my problem. It's almost like a Pavlovian conditioning, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 
you know what they say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And in 2003, Starbucks may have lost control of its ego. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit. So the mermaid slapped on a metaphorical pair of too cool for you aviators and (laughs) (laughs) a la Joe Biden. I was going to say Tom Cruise, but Joe Biden works too. (laughs) And the company created its own music recording company, Mm -hmm. won eight Grammys. Wow. And launched a movie with Lionsgate in 2006 called Aquila and the Bee. Started a partnership with William Morris, the longest-running talent agency, to scout for music, books, and films, and opened an entertainment office in L.A. Wow. I never in a million years would have thought, coffee company, eight Grammys. Well, that's the problem. By 2008, (laughs) it was clear that Starbucks lost focus of who it was. You know, with these businesses serving as a distraction the coffee-centric core of the brand suffered dramatically and coffee sales plummeted. The stock fell, don't fall off your chair, from $37 to $7.83. Oh. And the company had cut 18,000 jobs and closed 977 stores. So thankfully, Starbucks realized that they were falling before they actually hit the ground. And what they did here is what you and I have done in our careers before. When you try to diversify beyond your capacity or your skill set or your core business, and then your core business suffers. I mean, this is like a classic, classic example of that. Just at a right. mammoth scale. <laughs> <laughs> right. With a lot more funding behind it. Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, most turnaround stories generally tend to start with a question And there's a variety of different questions that we ask, but some of the best turnaround stories tend to start with the question, so what do we do best? Like at the end of the day- I thought you were going to say, like, how did we get here? (laughs) Which is a very similar thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, they're two different sides of the coin. Yeah. And what do we do best? I think one of the reasons why that's such an important question to start with is because it's a refocusing question. It's less about the past and it's more about the future. And unsurprisingly, Starbucks found that the answer to that wasn't talent agencies, books. Grammys. Grammys, (laughs) (laughs) It was actually coffee, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. So everything else had to go. So Starbucks exited the entertainment business and rebuilt everything so that the focus was back on coffee, back on the experience inside the stores, and it closed each location for an entire day to retrain every barista. This accomplished a couple of things. For example, it told consumers that the most important thing Starbucks does is make a great cup of coffee. It also told baristas themselves that they're essential to the brand. This, of course, came after criticism of Starbucks' working conditions and internal tipping policies had been growing. Starbucks claimed that baristas are a symbol of what is most important to the consumer experience of the brand. That's how you experience the brand is through the barista. Mm -hmm. And that's great because if their brand's culture is centered around a great cup of coffee, who better to respect and exemplify that than the people who every great cup of coffee starts with? Exactly. And... As if they were trying to make up for lost time while they were frolicking around in Hollywood, 
<laughs> Starbucks created <laughs> sandwiches, snacks, and pastries. And their food was designed around the coffee routine. So they're trying to bring it back to their core. Its aim was to stretch the coffee routine into lunch and then into dinner. Exiting the entertainment business, retaining their baristas, and creating a food menu all are two things in common. The same overarching purpose, rekindling the consumer experience, and then also very importantly, Howard Schultz. So Schultz originally became director of retail operations of Starbucks in 1982. And at that time, there were only four branches of the coffee company in the Seattle area. Less than two decades after Schultz came on board, Starbucks had a presence on six continents with 3,500 total stores and well over $2 billion in revenue. And when Schultz stepped down in 2000, he did it because he was exhausted. Should have used more of his own products. <laughs> he, he probably did, and that's why he was so exhausted. <laughs> he ran out of steam. Make it stop. <laughs> yes, exactly. But by 2008, he could tell the coffee chain was completely drifting from its core values, and its poor performance was really just kind of becoming concerning to him. And he started to feel that he maybe needed to, in some capacity, step back in and redirect the company before it was too late. So after this eight-year gap, he actually ended up returning as CEO and at the height of the 2008 financial crisis, no less. Perfect timing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He walks into a company whose stock price had fallen 75% over the previous two years and whose competitors like McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts were really just circling like sharks smelling blood in the water. Yep. So revenue was growing across the board, but it was not keeping up with the new store creation. So Starbucks was dependent on opening new stores for growth while same-store sales were declining. So their strategy was the more stores we add up, we can actually make up for the declining we had in some of the other stores. That sounds a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, in retrospect, that is not the smartest (laughs) move. Schultz thought that the best thing to do was to preserve the integrity of the brand. And consequently, he fired nearly every single executive. He shut down the lagging stores. He mapped out a new course for the company to ensure that the operations would not sacrifice for growth. Then he turned his attention to Starbucks working conditions and the tipping policy. And they weren't acceptable for Schultz, who had personally experienced poverty at a young age. Because he wanted to preserve the brand and because Starbucks employees or the Starbucks baristas are not only the symbol of the brand, but he viewed them as one of the most important aspects of the consumer experience, to your point from earlier. It wasn't so much that Starbucks couldn't afford to treat baristas poorly, than it was that Schultz recognized the company could literally afford to treat them nicely. That's was the way that he thought about it. That's really interesting. I think of so many companies that have virtually unlimited resources. Amazon. Walmart. Apple. There's a million that jumps to mind, yeah. And don't think of things this way. Yeah. From a business perspective, I understand the way that they think, but I think one of the reasons why Starbucks is the way it is, I mean, if you ask anybody on the street, do you shop at Walmart? They'll say, oh yeah, I I shop at Walmart. How do you feel about Walmart? Do you love Walmart? How does Walmart make you feel? Yeah. Most people will have a very like negative reaction towards Walmart. Yeah, they just shop there because of the price. That's the only thing that gets in there. Yeah, because it's the price or it's the only game in town because they've pushed everybody out. 
So there's a reason why Starbucks has become one of these beloved brands. And in May 2009, Schultz and the executive team approved a $100 million settlement in back tips in a barista-led class action lawsuit in California. Wow. Schultz also redoubled and enforced the firm's fair trade and ethical source policies for their coffee bean supply chain in Africa and other coffee-producing countries. And over the course of the next two years, he doubled the company's annual purchase of fair trade coffee up to 40 million pounds, according to some estimates. And while he was at it, Schultz also went ahead and arranged the appointment of the coffee house's first chief technology officer. You must have done a great job with that from an app perspective, ordering in advance, picking it up. They've really stayed ahead of times. So that was a good move. Wireless charging in the tables is another thing that comes to mind. Yeah. They've really thought about, again, making that experience seamless, especially as we think about they kind of went into this entertainment landscape, but so many of the people that go to Starbucks and actually spend time there, besides just like going through the drive through and picking up a coffee order, are either business people or students. Oh man, before the macaroni hit us, we spent a lot of time there, you know. Yeah, right. Starbucks, it was like our go-to place, just going to sit and have a meeting, just getting out. Exactly. And so that's how most people experience it. They're on the road in between business meetings or while they're traveling for work where they need a place to go and do a study group with their college friends, right? Mm -hmm. And so Starbucks is really taken that technology component and redirected it towards the core of who their customers are versus trying to create this like oasis for entertainment purposes. Right. And if all that Schultz had done during his tenure wasn't enough, during the summer of 2014, he launched the Starbucks College Achievement Plan, which was a partnership with Arizona State University to really kind of make this promise of taking better care of the barista's a reality. Yeah. And let's talk about his legacy as a whole. The Starbucks College Achievement Plan, this is one aspect, and it allowed all members of Starbucks working 20 hours per week or more to qualify for free university, basically, for online courses, which is just amazing, right? It's awesome. Schultz clearly made an effort to help the employees. And as for just how much he helped the company, between his return as CEO in 2008 and 2010, Starbucks profits tripled from 315 million to nearly a billion dollars. But better yet, between his return as CEO in 2008 and January 2020, the Starbucks stock climbed approximately 2,100%. And his tenure as CEO also coincided with a more than tenfold rise in the stock price between the IPO in 92 and his resignation in 2000. So, a lot of what we're talking about here was one man's thinking, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. So that is the impact of leadership. Oh, absolutely. Impact of good leadership. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the impact of poor leadership, right? Yeah. And he needed to clean house and get the right leadership in. This whole story would make a fantastic movie. Don't you think this is just like such a good story of him like enjoying his golfing and then they come to the golf course and say, we need you back. He's like, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they convince him to come back and he's going to go and find his suit and dust it off in the closets because he hadn't wore a suit in eight years and he's back in the thing. And he's just, it's such a good story. Yes. He can be the John Wick of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on June 4th, 2018, 
he announced that after 37 years, he would, for a second time, retire from active management of Starbucks. But he'll be back in 2022, right? (laughs) To take care of things after the pandemic, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, the company was once again at the end of his tenure in 2018 in very good standing, and Schultz had other things that he wanted to do, like dabbling in the idea of running for president. In an interview with the New York Times, he said, quote, I want to be truthful with you without creating more speculative headlines. For some time now, I've been deeply concerned about our country, the growing division at home and our standing in the world, end quote. So given what he did for a simple Seattle coffee house, it might've been interesting to see what he could have done for our entire country. I would have been interested to find out about that. I have no idea what his political leanings are, but... He's got a good track record, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what we can take away from this. And for me, it's it's really, really simple. You know, figure out what you do best and then just stick to it. If you think about like Converse makes shoes, Champion makes athletic wear, and Starbucks makes coffee. Just stick to what your core business is. And it really can be that simple. It is that simple. Yeah. <laughs> But seriously, if you think of like the 40 episodes we've done and half of them are failures, a big, massive chunk of them are companies that diversify out of their core business because they diversify themselves out of a financial hole. Their core business is struggling because they're losing focus on it or their product is bad or whatever it might be. And then they just fail because they lose prioritization of where they should put their time. We've seen it over and over again. I think it's fair for a company to evaluate, are we even in the right core business? That's okay. You can change that. Yeah. And a really good example that just jumps to mind is Netflix. They evolved with their purpose and they evolved with their core business, but they didn't jump from coffee to Grammys. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't go from streaming TV to making video game consoles. Yeah, exactly. Because they're in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing too is just being a good human, it just goes a long way. It really does. People follow people that they respect and that make them feel good. Nobody wants to follow somebody that makes you feel bad about yourself, right? Like- That kindness has to emanate out from a leader. And that doesn't mean that you don't make tough decisions. Right. One of the things that I absolutely love and have taken to heart from Doug Conant, who is the CEO of Campbell's, is his philosophy of tough-minded on standards and tenderhearted with people. It's the way to motivate people to get behind and to push in the same direction And those baristas, they were such an integral part of the brand's image and such an integral part of the customer experience. You can even get away with a not so great cup of coffee if every time you interact with a barista, you feel like a million bucks. Right. Obviously, you want to do both. But as the baristas are reintroduced as part of the brand's core image, those baristas then get that $100 million settlement in terms of back tips. And, you know, you could argue that, did he do that out of necessity? Well, I think it's pretty clear based on his stated intentions that, number one, those things had started to come to play before his tenure. And then he really made sure that they made good on what had happened. And then 
Next, you get the baristas to qualify for free tuition and online college courses, and they get retrained and there's better support for them. And they learn better processes for making coffee and reinforce their commitment to that. And then finally, customers get a better cup of coffee and a better experience because the people who go to work every day on the side of the counter that makes the cup are excited about being there, know their jobs, and actually have the capability to deliver with a positive attitude. Yep. Happy staff, happy customers. So simple, right? (laughs) Yes. Cool, man. This has been a fun episode. Nice, lighthearted. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, we'll speak to you guys next week. I'm going to go make some coffee. Sounds good. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.